0: Hello friends, welcome back to the podcast. We have hit the halfway point for season three of Enneagram and Coffee, which means two things. One, it is time for me to take a bit of a break. And two, after podcasting for two and a half years, and one and a half years of that being five days a week, the feed here is long, and there is a lot of content that you probably haven't even seen yet. So the solution to both of those problems is to re-upload some of my favorite episodes for the month of June. This month, we're focusing on educational episodes, things to lay the groundwork of Enneagram knowledge so that we are all on the same page moving forward. Thank you in advance for understanding, and I cannot wait to create more content for you so soon. Hello, everyone. Happy Thursday. On Thursdays, we dive deep into Enneagram education. And today we're discussing something that I've possibly kind of been unconsciously avoiding for a while, and that is the topic of passions. I'll share with you what the passions are, an overview of each type, and some of my personal thoughts and opinions around each of them. But first, today's rosebud and thorn my rose for today is team meetings. So I am back from about three weeks away um, from from meeting with people on my team. And I got to meet with my lovely assistant Jenny today. And it just feels so good to just sit down, see her face to face, talk about, you know, like, what are we learning? What are we changing? What, how are you feeling? And um, I just love that part of my job. So I feel more connected than I have in a long time. And it feels really nice. My bud. Next week is interview week. So um, what I'm trying to do with interviews is, is kind of compile them into a single week so that I get the next month's set of interviews kind of done for, you know, so we have a few weeks kind of And so next week is interview week for February's podcast, and we have some really exciting interviews coming up. So I'm really looking forward to sitting down and having those conversations and also getting to share them with you. And my thorn um, is that I didn't meditate last night, and it shows (laughs) I added into my evening routine um, for the new year to meditate every evening, and it has been so good. Um, I've done about usually like 10, 15 minutes of meditation every night. And it really, it calms me so much and creates so much space between like my thoughts, my feelings and my actions. And then I just find that in the morning, I feel less rushed. I feel a lot more like present with the day. Um, I'm a lot less irritable and I did not meditate. (laughs) Last night. Instead, I was like, I'm going to watch YouTube and it honestly just doesn't feel as good on my system. I don't feel as calm. I don't feel as present. Um, I feel a lot more anxious. And so, you know, it's on a positive note. That's good data. Good information. We'll make a different choice tonight, obviously. Um, But yeah, it shows. All right. Let's dive into passions. So the passions element of the Enneagram discusses each type's tactic for returning to essence. So this is obviously going to be defined differently depending on your personal belief system. So maybe essence for you is God. Um, Maybe it's oneness. Maybe it's your truest self. But ultimately, you know, I think the easiest way to say it is holiness, Whatever that means for you. So, um, you know, holiness for me might mean something different for you, and that's okay. But it's our attempt to return to holiness. We find ourselves kind of much like a child using tactics to get that need met. The passions describe each of the nine tactics used to do just that. Now, it's important to note that these tactics are insufficient, right? I think I think of them as taking us to like this soft, generic holiness We were seeking like this full, rich, complex sense of goodness, but instead we settle for like our particular brand of bottom shelf bagged cereal holiness. It's like the illusion of holiness that gets us through, but it really doesn't serve us long term. And a quick disclaimer here, if you have read my book, then you know I'm not the biggest fan of the language that's used here. Um... If you are a religious person or you come from a religious background like I do, you may already be comfortable or kind of used to these words. Um, But I'm someone who has written this kind of language out of my self-talk. Instead, I seek to understand and not condemn myself when doing growth work. I think that's why I've avoided this topic for so long because I'm not sure I like the wording here. However, it is a part of the Enneagram, so we have to discuss it and that's just what we're going to do. You know what I mean? All right. So we're going to break down each of the passions by type. I'll share with you kind of what the passion is according to the language chosen. And honestly, so this language um, really comes from Oscar Achazo, um back in like the 60s. And he even admitted at some point along the way that he's like, I don't think this language, like English is a second language. And he's like, I don't know that these are the exact right words. So I think that's important to note, but I'm going to, I'm going to give you the, the word used for each type. And then I'm just going to kind of talk to you about how I interpret that. Um, and what that, I think that means in terms of like our journey to goodness or our journey to like kind of what, how that leads us to kind of that off-brand goodness. All right. So type one, the passion for type one is anger. Um, I replace this with irritation or even kind of the idea of like holding on to expectations or the illusion of control. Um, cause I think the anger for type ones isn't like outright rage. It's much, much more kind of like this underlying vibration of irritability at things, not being how you want them to be. Um, and sometimes that's like not living up to your expectations. And sometimes that's just like you not getting to be the one to do it because you have like a way you want it to be done. Um, so as this, as this, with this as your tactic for, reaching fullness, um, it's almost the idea that having high standards that no one can quite live up to um, or holding on to like a certain sense of like righteous indignation will is you know will get you to like this height of perfection that we perceive as essence, right? Like if you if you hold the concept of holiness as kind of righteous perfection, Then um, irritation with things falling short of that is kind of your childlike way of getting that need met, right? Because if you just kind of like are irritable and like bristle at things that you can't control or things that don't live up to your expectations, then the idea is like then change will happen and we will have perfection, um, when in reality, right? It's about releasing the con- the illusion of control, releasing the idea that there is a, a one right way, um, releasing the pressure to live up to that expectation, even for yourself, because we are in fact all very much human and flawed and doing the best we can with what we've been given. Okay, so that is kind of how I see this for type ones. If you are a type one, let me know. You know, as you hear any of your types talking, like. How's this show up for you? Uh, Let's have that conversation as well. All right, so type two. The word here for you for passion is pride. I kind of think of this as um, not the typical, like, look at how great I am, but instead more so the concept that you need me, but I don't need you, right? Like coming into with this idea that you're needed, but you do not need. Sometimes this is also shows up as passive requests, like you're doing something because you want someone to notice what you wish would be done for you, right? So almost like you, the pride here is less about like, oh look at how great I am, and more so like, I'm too proud to ask for support. I'm too proud to ask for help. This can look this can look like it's getting you to holiness because you aren't being selfish, right? Like the theory is like. I'm not taking, I'm giving, and that's good. That's that's what good people do. They give, right? Um, but but how it limits us and how it kind of is this off-brand version of of goodness is because, you know, ha- healthy, happy, functioning relationships require reciprocation and and acknowledge that you can't read minds, right? Like you are not meeting needs so that your needs can be met, but instead you're you're able to have the boundaries necessary so that you can give from a healthy, happy place and make requests as needed um, when you need when you need support. You know, there's there's a reciprocation there and a in a relationship involved in, in the acts of service. All right, for our type threes, the word here is deceit. I obviously do not like that word. <laughs> um, I, so many of these words, I just think they're they're rich with intense, like kind of harsh language that I, again, wouldn't use with myself and I wouldn't use with you. I and more so think for type threes, this is more about polishing and presenting. So the idea that you can't be caught in your weaknesses or your shortcomings, so you put on a good front. Um, this feels like a path to, to goodness because you're giving people, you're, you're putting your best foot forward, right? Like you're like, I'm giving you the best that I have of myself. Um, and sometimes even the best that I think I'm going to eventually have of myself, so I might as well just kind of go ahead and own that too. Um, instead, um, you know, that that essence for you, the, the happier, like top shelf version, that brand name serial version of goodness for you is being seen in the rawness of who you are and being loved for that. Like that's the ooey gooey good fruity pebbles <laughs> brand name stuff. Um, but you settle for being appreciated for who you want them to see you as, right? For fours, we get the word Envy. I replace this with longing. Um, I think for type fours, there's both a comfort with longing, like almost over-accomplishing, like kind of your longing to over-accomplish, as well as kind of this attachment to the if-then mentality. And what I mean by that is like, if I get a degree, then I'll be qualified to write this book. If I lose 10 pounds, then I'll be able to fall in love and commit to this relationship. If I were just a little bit more charismatic, then I would be successful at the things that I want to do in my life. But until then, I'm not even going to try. That kind of like attachment to longing um, creates, you know, causes you to settle for the waiting game. Because... It's like the idea of it is that it's good that you're not actively doing harm and you're not actively failing at the thing that you want to do. So that's like kind of what you're settling for. But the top shelf version of this, right, like the good good is celebrating the what you already possess, right? Like being grateful for who you already are, loving what you already have, doing what you can with what you've been given, um, taking action from right th- where you are in this moment. In our brave collective meeting today, earlier today, um, we were talking about type four, um, type fours, and how the type fours that I see do this really well. They make day-to-day activities very luxurious for themselves, right? Like my husband's a type four and he does the dishes every night and he like makes it like a a sen- sensory experience right he's got like good music playing he has low lighting he's like enjoying the warmth of the water on his hands and he's it's he's enjoying the process And I think that's so much of like what it is for our type fours, like when you can get into the top shelf stuff, it's about like, this is what's here and what's now. And how can I work with what I've been given and really enjoy that? All right, type fives, the word here is avarice or greed. So this is more about fear of resources being depleted than wanting more from others, right? When you you hear the word greed, you think it's like taking from other people. And so that's why I don't really love that word. It's more so about like not wanting other people to take from you, right? Like whether that's your time, your energy, your finances. Some fives I know they're like, I literally like hoard things that I love that I don't, you know, snacks or whatever, or um, it, maybe it's information, like just kind of over consuming information. Um, and then, you know, I've talked my husband, he's a four wing five, not to, sorry, my love, I'm using you as an example a lot today. Um, but we talk a lot about how he'll like consume information, but there's no export, right? So that information is just going in and in and in and in, and it's creating like a lot of backed up energy. Like, I don't know how to phrase it otherwise, and it sounds really woo, but Um, You know, it's creating a lot of like backlogged, almost anxiety or tension. And sometimes you just need export, whether that's like a journaling practice or a blog or talking to a friend, moving that information around, letting some of it go out instead of just kind of letting it come in. Um, It can be really beneficial, but I think the reason that this looks like holiness is because you're not asking for anything, right? It's the idea of like, I take care of me, you take care of you. You just don't come for me and my stuff and my thoughts and I won't come for you and your thoughts and your stuff. Um, But the, the top shelf here, the top shelf holiness is, is that intimacy and that connection and that being supported and offering support. Um, That's kind of what you miss by settling for that separation. Today's podcast is brought to you by Rothy's. One of my favorite things about being a woman is the women's restroom. That moment when you walk into somewhere and all of the other women in the room are like, Ooh, I like your shoes or I like your shirt. There's just an immediate mood boost that happens. One time I was out with my husband and he said, Why do you always compliment other women? And I was like, It just feels feels so good both to give and to receive that compliment. There's just nothing like it. So wearing things that get that kind of connection with a stranger is so much fun. And this happens every single time I wear my Rothy's. They're the perfect shoes for commuting and traveling and doing whatever you need to do because you can always throw them in the wash and everyone notices them. They're so cute, they're so durable, and they're so easy to take care of. And for those of us who love to travel, they sit really nicely in a suitcase. I have the boots that you can easily just fold down and put into your suitcase, and they pack so well, which is very hard to find in a boot. What makes it even better is that Rothy's takes sustainability to another level. All of their products are knit with thread made from plastic water bottles that they've repurposed around 125 million water bottles so far, so exciting. Plus they last forever and you can easily take care of them by throwing them in the wash if they happen to get dirty. So, friends, your new favorite shoes are waiting. Discover the versatile styles you can wear absolutely anywhere, and get twenty-eight dollars off your first purchase at slash egram That's r-o-t-h-y-s.com/egram for twenty dollars off your first order. All right, our type six. The word here is fear. And again, I, I choose preparation instead of fear for this one. Um, this, can, you know, preparation can look like worry um, or it can look like suspicion. Like I'm prepared for you to screw me over. Um, it can also just feel like making sure everything's been thought through. And um, the other side of this is of this fear, I think, is self-doubt. And that seeking of certainty, like wanting to know, like, okay, what's my what's my certainty here? What can I hold on to as fact? And know, like, yes, there is a definitive answer. Um, I think this can look and feel like holiness because you can make sure things are going to be okay, you know, like that's a good thing. Like everyone's gonna be all right. But because you're like settling for this kind of preparatory, anxious, um, suspicious, uncertain kind of energy, you're never really getting to accept like the certainty of uncertainty, right? Which is kind of like that higher level um, piece of it, which is just kind of like once you really get in and like dance with the fact that like, yeah, I don't know. I never will know. I can't tell the future. um, I'm going to have to just make a decision and I won't have like a guaranteed success at this decision. It won't necessarily work out then you, if you don't dance in that space, then you never really get to see what you're made of, right? Like you never get to see how prepared you actually are for the things that come your way um, and how resilient you actually are when things don't go the way that you thought they would. and it's a lot less relaxing, you know, to live in that space of like kind of being on guard all the time versus living in the space of like what is real here and now in this moment that I can actually control, right? Like there's there's so much that's in the – there's only so much that's in within the circle of control um, in my life. And, and ultimately at the end of the day, like that is just your choices and how you – you can't control the circumstances that are going to happen. You really can only control how you respond to them. And that is actually a pretty relaxing place to live when you when you get there. It's a little bit more of that good, good. All right. Type seven is gluttony. More accurately, I choose the word distraction. Um, you know, I think it's it's not as much like I need as much as I can get But more accurately, I think it's like an attempt to escape the present moment through daydreaming or through pleasurable experiences. Um, And also it's that like resistance to the limitation, like wanting to make sure like all options remain open. And then you can kind of taste a little bit of everything instead of like, I I don't think, I think actually a lot of sevens that I know would say like, yes, I love pleasurable experiences. I love daydreaming, but like they're pretty they want to kind of, they spread themselves wide um, instead of trying to kind of like move upward, right? They're kind of lateral. This looks like holiness because it feels good, right? Like, oh yeah, like having whatever I want, whenever I want it, doing whatever I want, following my impulses, doing the things that feel nice to me at the, you know, and ignoring the things that don't like, yeah, that feels really nice. (laughs) And It's an illusion of holiness because we're missing that like depth and complexity and that nuance, that grief and sorrow and being with our feelings offers us. And quite frankly, like our humanity, you know, we can be happy, but at what expense when we're not willing to go to the, to the depths of our humanity and really live out um, that. And I think we, we don't want limitations, but we limit ourselves right? By ha- letting ourselves have just this one narrow, joy-filled experience, um, instead of really being like present with pain and sorrow and grief. All right, type eights, so the word is lust. Um, you know, I think of it as seeking of intensity, so a large experience, whether that's more of a good thing or a good sparring match, you know, that like seeking of like intensity, Um, you know, almost like a seeking of matched big energy, both from experiences and with people. It looks like holiness because it makes you feel alive, you know, like you just feel something. Um, And even if that isn't serving you, you know, it feels like something that you remember that you're living and breathing and, and doing this thing. And so the reason that that's like a settling of a version of what what holiness could be is because in that intense that seeking of intensity, we miss out on the beauty of the simplicity of living a a good easy life. Right? We we miss out on comfort. We miss out on rest. We miss out on um, stability. You know, there's this there's an actual you know some of us. We can get addicted to intensity to the point where we're addicted to our trauma, right? And so maybe we, we lived through a traumatic experience and we're no longer in an unsafe environment, but we're addicted to the intense emotion that was stimulated in us at a young age maybe or at a different phase of our lives. And so even in our stable environments, we try to reignite that intensity so that we can feel something. And that is a settling, right? It's a settling. Um, it's a little bit less than you have, you you could have access to, um, if you allow yourself to just enjoy the peace. And it's hard to do, but it's worthwhile work, right? Type nine. The word for type nine is sloth. If you have read my book. Um, I specifically break this down. I I break down the use of the word lazy for type nines um, in the intro chapter. So in the curiosity over discipline section, um, because this is one that really, really bugs me. So sloth is obviously like not my favorite thing. I replace it with exhaustion. Nines are the most receptive type on the Enneagram. Like all day long, they're just receiving... Um, All of your energy, all of our energy that we're throwing at them, and they're kind of silently manipulating and shrinking and shifting themselves to make that easier for you, Um, meaning it takes more energy for them to just hang out with you than it does for others. And this can lead to the desire to numb out. Like this is, the world is an overwhelming place. Emotionally, if you're constantly gauging the temperatures of everyone else's experience, that gets, that's a lot to take in. And so when it comes to your own feelings, your own wants, your own needs, like it's actually much easier easier to just numb out. You know, whatever your version of numbing out is as your type, um whether that's like through your distractions or maybe it's just like literally shutting off your feelings so that when things happen you don't really have a reaction to them. Um now this looks like holiness because you aren't creating disconnection Right? Like, it's not like you're not going in and like severing connections with people. You're not making people feel uncomfortable. You are not making people feel out of place. It's settling, though, because you're not creating connection either. Right. Like you're not creating disconnection, but you're also not creating connection. If people don't really know you or know your thoughts or your feelings or your opinions, if they don't get pushback from you, if they never get to see you angry at them, um, if you never have to work through difficult things together, you're limiting the actual connection that you have to those people. No matter how much you care about them, like they won't really get to grasp it unless there's a little bit of friction. That friction um, is bonding and it's honest and it's creating a connection based off of like the truth of who you each are and therefore it is deeper and more long lasting. So you are likely to hear these words come up in Enneagram discussions, especially as we go into our subtype series. Um, We discuss each type's relationship to their passion specifically. So. you, you're going to start to kind of pay attention to it and start to notice it. Um, let me know how you relate to your passion. Tag me on Instagram. Let's you know. let chat about it. The original word used, I want to know how you kind of feel about that word. And then any nuance that we shared today that resonated with you or even doesn't, didn't resonate with you, I'm curious. Um, and for today's Food for Thought, it is from Beverly, I think it's Engel, E-N-G-E-L, And she says, turn down the volume of your negative inner voice and create a nurturing inner voice to take its place. When you make a mistake, forgive yourself, learn from it and move on instead of obsessing about it. Equally important, don't allow anyone else to dwell on your mistakes or your shortcomings or to expect perfection from you. My thoughts on this are... Simply, you are just as human as the rest of us. How can you change the way you speak to yourself so that it's less condemning and more willing to forgive? As always, thank you guys so much for being here. And if you have just a moment, take a second and leave a rating and review in iTunes. It means the world to me. Um, Us podcasters love to create content for you. And um, when you're able to leave us a five-star review, it's kind of like a little thank you note for the work we do. So thank you so much for taking the time. Those of you who have done that, it means the world to me. As always, I will see you tomorrow for another interview. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s.